This is Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making, hosted by me, Nick Andrews, and my brother, Chris. In this episode, we take a seat at the table. In 2003, seemingly out of nowhere, Texas Hold'em Poker dropped out of the sky onto mainstream culture. A man named Chris Moneymaker, that's seriously his name, came from an internet world to the World Series of Poker main event, where he won it all. Since then, a stampede of new players entered the scene, and with them, new disruption. That disruption came by way of mathematics. New players started looking into the probability not just of hands, but how much money players bet at certain points. Then, they figured out how much they ought to bet and when they ought to bet it. This new strategy, called Game Theory Optimal Poker, took the poker world by storm. Now, 20 years removed from Chris Moneymaker, debates over computer solvers, bluffing, and game theory optimal play have made poker more complex and interesting than ever. And welcome to episode 68 of Game Theory, podcast about competition, strategy, decision-making. And today we're going to do a game. We've been doing some heavier episodes. Um, this is actually tax day, depending on when you're listening to this. And if you're listening to this not on the Tuesdays when it drops, um, it's a big bluff by the government. You have 90 days before they really punish you. Um, <laughs> so it's not actually tax day. This is not a legal podcast. We would never get financial never. Or legal advice to anybody, but it is tax day, April 18th, 2023, as you're listening to this. And Nick, I'm proud to say that I had a full several minutes before the deadline. Well, is the deadline at midnight tonight? I actually have no idea. I have not filed night. my taxes, so I plan on being part of the crew that crashes whatever server can't handle it. I like that. Mm. I like that a lot. I hope you get a good refund for this. I, I hope you that. don't find out that you're going to... like incur some kind of penalty on top of owing like some big refund of the government. Yeah, I am actually more worried about the fact that like I don't have my I's dotted and T's crossed regarding my tiny little gambling winnings. That's going to be annoying. <laughs> if they want to audit me. Not in the state me. of North Carolina, of course. No, I can't. No, well, it's not It's not possible. Which we can talk about that. With TikTok being banned in Montana. Like, how can they do that? Like, well, they've been doing it to gambling apps forever. They know exactly where you are and everybody knows has all that information. Which, by the way, TikTok was banned uh, in Montana starting... Uh, January 1st, 2024, I would imagine Arizona, Tennessee will be next, and I would also imagine that TikTok will pay them a trillion dollars to unban it. I don't know what's going to happen there, but it seems that it's been banned. Mostly conservative Republican states will be the ones to do this right now. Um, who knows how this is going to go, but there's a little update on our TikTok thing that's going to happen. Well, and I also have an update on tax things. Yes. Uh, I want to give a huge shout out to Dan. Mm. You remember Dan? Mm. Come on and talked a little, little sports with us Footy, many moons football. ago. Yeah. Uh, Dan, shout out to Dan, was listening to uh, the episode, and when we mentioned tax revenue, yeah, Dan had a couple of things to say, uh -oh. and I want to set the record straight because he is an expert and I am not. He said, I can tell you why tax collections are down. So remember, a year on year, mm -hmm. last year tax revenue was lower than it is. Or it's lower this year than it was last year. Sure. Dan says, generally, when there is a FEMA disaster declaration, 
So that's the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Sure. When there's a FEMA disaster declaration, the IRS says you can postpone certain tax payments, interest fees. So this year, most of the state of California got a FEMA disaster relief payment from the IRS or re relief, I guess, like they withhold the paying interest from the IRS because there were a bunch of crazy storms in December and January. Mm -hmm. like, oh, like that's the right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. River, yeah. that term that came out, but a whole bunch that nobody's ever heard of. Before. Oh, the extinct lake that's coming back. We'll talk about that maybe later. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. So they had a ton of flooding. And now the big companies and rich individuals in the state don't have to make any tax payments until October. Ah. So as a result of a whole bunch of weather and there's like and, and you know, Dan also pointed out that the, the number of California companies paying billions in taxes every year is insane. So it's like if you ever hear people say like, oh, yeah, blue states actually subsidize the red states. Like, well, no, the ultra wealthy corporations and billionaires that live in really expensive areas of blue states, they're the ones who are paying higher taxes. So the IRS has a whole chunk of revenue that they're missing this year, apparently. Uh, because California had huge disasters and interest payments on taxes are deferred mm -hmm. until October this year. Yeah, and so that that actually makes more sense to me, especially because California is the most populous state. I suppose the same could be true. Texas seems to always have one or two disaster declarations for weather. It's kind of an extreme place. It's also huge, so the odds of something happening there are much bigger. Um, yeah, the the subsidizing thing is funny too. Like, no, we are all all of us are subsidized by like twenty municipalities. Um, where all of the yeah. money makes, where all of the decisions, like the brain and wallet of America in D.C. and New York, they're paying a lot of money for a lot of people to live. That's for sure. But OK, so and it's 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 not the generosity of the governments in those places. Like, no. Oh, yes, this is a much more benevolent system of governance because of its political character. Like, no, it's not. And it's believe me, Peoria, Illinois people. isn't subsidizing shit. It's all Chicago. Yeah. Like that's what the states and Correct. governments. Yeah. So. Correct. Okay, so we're going to talk about something not as aggressive. We are going to do. We got to bring back fraudster files. Did you see Billy McFarlane is going to do Firefest too. Oh my God, he's returned. We've, we we predicted that. We yeah we did. Once a fraudster, never a prize. <laughs> he's like the frog that crosses the stream with the scorpion. Like scorpion's going to sting, man. This dude is going to try to scam the hell out of Think people. Think of all of the Gen Zers that he's never hoodwinked. We need to get all of all of player three together to form a team and, and go one to person Firefest. to go to this thing. Yeah, we'll subsidize it. We'll 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 reimburse the cost. Well, or whatever. maybe we got to know what's going on, <laughs> but we can't pay this some bitch any more money than he already has. I, I, like he can't be allowed to get away with having these crappy festivals. Anymore. This is amazing. Yeah, it is. A, it's incredible. Good for him. So we got to do another fraudster file on someone. Uh, there's a Chinese painter, I think, that uh, fooled a lot of people. I would like to do that one. And then, yeah, so we got that coming up. But last week we said that we were going to consider, should we do more, be more active with our polls? Because the polls that we have done on Spotify, and if you don't know what we're talking about, if you listen to po uh, podcasts on Spotify, there is a comment thread similar to a comment thread that you would see on Reddit. And we have the authority to make that like if you make a comment on our episode we will see it but if we want to make it public to anybody we can pin it and then everybody can participate in the conversation spotify also allows you to participate in polls so if you want to have direct feedback because i i'd hate this like okay click this link and go to that site and give me your data for that but, but spotify takes care of it for all of our apple listeners apple does not yet have the uh, ability to do that i'm sure that they will i don't know but for now spotify uh, they do so i mean and you don't have to listen to spotify i know that all of you apple listeners have spotify so just go over there and click the poll and maybe we're going to uh, take some stock on what people want to do. I'm kicking around a book club. So maybe we'll ask people if they want to do a book club over the next month or two and just see maybe on this new app that does book clubs. Um, also, we wanted to this we did this around this time last year, put the GoFundMe back in our uh, notes in the 
podcast notes. Chris, your speech and debate team that you are an alma mater of and a coach and a volunteer for. You just won an award, by the way. Congratulations. I should have thank you. I should have thanked you, but I don't know what it is. Um, so you're going to have to thank yourself. But right now, you're trying to send this team to nationals. So there's a GoFundMe if you want to send speech and debate kids from Wyoming to the national competition, which is probably somewhere annoying. My guess is going to be Albuquerque. Um, no disrespect to New Mexico. Is that close? It's, it, it's, it's shockingly close. It is in Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, that's really year. cool. Usually, it's yes. not so as cool as Phoenix. Nice. Yeah. Last year, it was in Louisville. Louisville is a cool place. Mm. Sometimes, it's in less cool places. Like, you know, I, I like Birmingham personally, but I also understand that Birmingham is not exactly Highly debated call. place. Yeah. 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 Really, really polarizing. Some people really love it. Some people hate it. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. So player three, if you donated last year, we had the GoFundMe to help get these kids to Louisville. Last year was a special tournament because it was their first year back after two years of doing things virtually because of the coronavirus pandemic. And, you know, it's just hard to have speech and debate tournaments on the Internet. You can just record videos and just play those videos. They call it asynchronous now where kids Mm -hmm. are doing that. And it really just kind of takes a lot of the wind out of the sails. You know, these kids work really hard to try to find their voice and kind of figure out who they are, the process of doing argumentation and speech writing and performances. And it's a really important thing to me. And it's a cause near and dear to my heart. I'd really appreciate Player 3 if you're willing to donate even just a dollar to get these kids to to go fund this trip. It's a really rare opportunity. Last year, Nick, I don't want to call any of the kids out, but uh, several of them, in fact, I think almost all of them had never been on an airplane before. Yeah, well, well, I mean, that would make sense because you're getting older and the time would come, then COVID comes and it's not like an easy thing to do. Then the prices go way, way up. And yeah, so air travel was a nightmare. So that's a big opportunity. The goal is $5,000 so we can donate a couple bucks. I know Player 3's got some money out there. And the in-person thing, again, very important because like that's sort of the point of speech and debate. Like, what do you get out of speech and debate? Like without doing it in person, you could just make TikToks. Like, yeah, I mean, you're no, just watching TED Talk videos yeah. on YouTube done by high school students. Like, no, it's it's important for them to be together. It's important for them to be with their peers, and it's important for them to try to grow into better versions of themselves through this activity. It means a lot to me, and your generosity would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Player yes, three. so and thank you in advance. We know that there's a community here because we see the data that some of you click on. When I say see data, I can see number of clicks on those of you that wanted to buy our friend Justin's book, uh, The Price is Right book. And that's been, uh, there's plenty of people clicked on it and took a look. We don't know who you are, where you are, when you did that. But uh, we know that there's a community here, so we want to take advantage of that and use it for some good. And because uh, and, we never really, yeah, we don't have, ask anybody to do anything except for this uh, podcast is brought to you by Spotify for podcasters. And if you want to start a podcast, you do it with Spotify for podcasters. Okay. So we've got a lot of very intense topics over the last year. And like the last 14 months, we did the war in Ukraine. We did some fun stuff too. Remember traffic? I, we've been doing this a long time. I forgot about some of the episodes. We ever go back through our episodes and think, oh yeah, shit, that was a pretty good one. I forgot about that one. Yeah, I do. And then sometimes I scroll past them and think, uh, maybe it's better if we just move on from this. Yeah, maybe we got to do some film sessions occasionally. <laughs> maybe yeah, like, get you, a, you know, a little look, better. We're, we're just trying to get in here and get better every day. And <laughs> exactly. go back out there, get pucks deep, get pucks in the net and... Uh, Win some, win, some, win some hockey games. That's a YouTube clip that Chris is referencing, of course. Okay, so we started this show with uh, a show about chess because chess is such a great metaphor for many aspects of life. It's a very basic and universal game. There are only a handful of other games that have been around as long and have survived the test of time. Um, Go is one that what people think about when you think about that, perhaps checkers and some other games as well. But we've referenced poker over and over and over again, and we have arrived to the poker episode. So today... We are going to talk about poker and two things. One, we're going to explain poker and kind of the debates happening in the world of poker. 
And two, we are going to break down something called game theory optimal play. So poker in the last five or six years has gone through an enormous debate and revolution because they too, similar to basketball and chess, learned that math was a thing. And now people are really starting like, oh, well, if I use math, maybe I can beat the people who are more experienced than me. And we've gotten ourselves into a nice, fun conundrum, very similar to what you see in chess and in sports where there's like bluffing and anti-bluffing and reverse bluffing. And it's, 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 it's incredibly fun. So this is fun for me because I know the rules of chess. I can play a game without getting in trouble. Chris cannot play poker. He doesn't know the rules well enough to understand this. If you sat at a table, you'd get kicked out because you'd do something stupid and they'd be like, you're trying to cheat. Well, and look, if it works, it works. If you're not cheating, you're not competing. Mm. I, I think a hundred percent of my poker knowledge comes from watching Remember when we first discovered the World Series of Poker yes. on ESPN? Yes. We were like at grandma's house in the basement in like 2006 or something. We just like flicked it on and at like ESPN at nine o'clock at night and uh, World Series of Poker just happened. Just people playing cards on a sports channel. Yeah, so 2003 is the first year that it started showing up on ESPN. They must have got a contract. At least that that's when it really showed up. This guy, Chris Moneymaker, won, which is what a name for a poker player, dude. Yeah, Moneymaker? That's so, that's so made up. There's no way that's his real name. That's, he's cited as one of the uh, normative determinism examples in the world. Like, obviously, that's what a great yes. number. So he was an online poker player back when it was illegal but easy to get away with. And he goes and wins the main event of the World Series of Poker. So the World Series of Poker is a $10,000 buy-in. You play Texas Hold'em and anybody can win. And tournaments are different than cash games, which we will explain in a moment. But you're right. It just showed up on ESPN one day. And I remember very dis- very clearly like having ca- summer camps and summer workouts and stuff. And then coming home and it was always on when there would normally be baseball or sports. And almost all of our friends got into it. Um, yeah. We started playing. Crazy. Like that one summer we played like every night. Yeah, all the and time. We, we tried to do this thing where we played with like chips instead of yeah. cash. Yeah. And the, the curious thing about poker is like even if you're playing a casual game with your pals it's hard to do it without using actual no kidding money even if it's like the 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 circumstances are no stakes and you're just like tossing around nickels or whatever you have to have some kind of stake in it. otherwise people will just go all in on every hand and like oh well i'm out so let's start again you're right redistribute the chips and we're good to go like you actually have to do betting with real money and i, I think it's it's a a unique game in that sense but for whatever reason in the mid 2000s it just like took off and it was yes. a cultural phenomenon it was i actually had a i don't know i have some weird dreams occasionally dream talks get closer oh God. our friend we're sean gonna, we're, we're remember sean weird territory well we? remember I, we talk about our friend sean who made the poker table all the time we want to sell the poker oh, yeah. tables i had he was the one who made this table and he made it for a main event we didn't play with it so we started the poker revolution happened for us in our teen years and by the time high school rolled around he had made this table and it was really sweet. So I remember playing with all my friends and like being very competitive at the game with my friends. And then I go to Philadelphia and I was playing against homeless dudes who were playing for like their money and I got destroyed. So then I bought Daniel Negreanu's masterclass and then I got really into it and I follow a bunch of poker TikTokers. Now I understand the game quite a bit more and I'm up a lot of money online, but I can't play in North Carolina. So it's just sitting in a fucking account that I can't, I can transfer it, but Great. yeah, it's just there. I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm up quite a bit, but because the online game is completely different because it removes the element of, of personal stuff. And I do want to talk about what you just said. If you play without stakes, you can't play. And that is a game theory concept of like the threat of uh, like the like threats or whatever. I forget what like, we've been doing this too long. If there's no threat of you losing something, you can't possibly care. In chess, you can simply want to win out of competition, but there is just enough luck involved in poker that you are not engaged 
if there's no there's no loss. And if there's no real money tied to the chip value, then you're not going to care as much. It's true. Yeah. And I know that because I went all in basically every hand mm -hmm. and either won a lot of chips or lost nothing. And we started over again. Okay, so let's get into the poker rules. So the way that poker works, essentially, every and there are some other weird ones, but th there are five cards or hands are five cards. Okay, so like I have a, a five card hand, and it's against your five card hand, and arbitrarily, there are hands that are better than other hands. It's not arbitrary; it's based on the likelihood of you getting that hand. So, for example, everybody knows a royal flush is the best hand in poker. Now, a royal flush is having the ten jack queen, king, and ace of a specific suit. So a straight is five cards in a row. A straight with the same suit is a straight flush. And a royal flush is those cards, but the highest cards. That is mathematically one of the most difficult things to put together. It's not any more likely than a straight flush, but it is cooler. Ergo, it is the the better flush, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's the number one poker hand because it's sick as hell. Right, You get exactly. three face cards, you get the ace, you get a random number thrown. It's just a baller as hell hand and like you said it, it is based on the frequency and I, I think there are 10 total poker hand like in the hierarchy of correct poker scoring well five, there are 11 because there's there's, there's, there's one missing at all of our tables here as far as i can tell so that is pretty obvious so royal flush right and so number if we out yeah that's number so there and they have on this table the number of ways that you can get this and as the probability goes up the hand is less likely to happen and that's what beats what right okay so royal flush is number one and then like we said a straight flush which is you know a royal flush but it's two through seven or six or whatever five cards after two is you you 007 fans out there will recognize that straight flush as the winning hand in casino royale that was one of of all of the poker that has been depicted in cinema. That was the sickest hand because all of those are so theoretical. All of those players played correctly ish. Um, some of them should have probably bailed and and not wanted to go with the lost the uh, sunk cost fallacy. But like a really great hand, true, spectacular poker scene. Honestly, I'll watch that movie up until the poker scene, and then as soon as he figures out that something's up and they got to like sprint out of the hotel, like I don't care anymore. Yeah, it's I, just an action movie after that. Like, man, yes. I, I wanted to watch that poker, the buy-in scene where he gets the money from the CIA and as he's on his way to like try to kill this dude yeah. out of rage. Sick movie. Yeah, sick, sick movie. So five acts, not to go down a side tangent here, five act movies blow. All of the Marvel movies lose me on act four. I'm like, okay, well, the story's kind of over. Like, what are we going to set up? I don't give a shit. The movie's over. You, Set it up. Get out of the Marvel tree. Movies for having acts. Yes. Well, that's they used to. <laughs> now they have. Oh my god. PR. Now so, they have CGI. Yeah, they don't have anything anymore. Like it's going. People are getting fired over this shit. I mean, but this is predictable, right? I mean, you either die a hero or you live long enough to waste everybody's money. Okay. Sure. So, <laughs> okay. So the poker hands in order: royal flush, straight flush. The same thing. It's just you know it's different. So in a straight flush, they they essentially don't rank it. Um, I think that you can have a. You, the higher card wins the straight flush. So if I have a straight flush and you have a straight flush, whoever has the highest top card wins. Then it's four of a kind, which is obvious. Then a full house. That means two of one card and three of another. So of your five cards, you've got you know two, a pair and three of a kind that are two different. A flush, then a straight. Now a flush, you're like, oh, well, those are the, kind of the same thing or the same suit and the same cards in a row. Obviously, when you think about it, this makes sense. It is twice as hard to get a flush as it is to get a straight. So flush beats straight, then three of a kind, then two pairs. So three of a kind beats two pairs. Again, think of odds. There are only four cards of each number in the deck. So if you get three of them, that's hard. Then two pairs, and then one pair, and this table is missing something, which is, of course, the most common hand, the one that mathematically has to happen every single time, which is high card. <laughs> and that's... Yes. Yes. 
So if uh, Ace so, beats uh, King, high, King high beats Queen. Is, yeah. High card is included on my yeah. on, on the table that I'm looking well, at. I don't here. have that one. Yet. It's like in uh, in Ocean's Eleven when that guy, when the celebrities are playing poker and uh, I forget who it is, but I, I think it's the kid oh, from Mighty Ducks. Yes. I, all reds and he has absolutely nothing. So that would be an example of high card. Although all the, the other morons at the table don't have the skill to, to be able to see that. All so, reds. So winning poker hands is about trying to obtain one of these high scoring hands. And then on layered on top of that, it's not just about getting the hand because that's based pretty much entirely on luck in, in Texas Hold'em. It's, trying to figure out whether the score that you get on this ranking is better, it's higher up on the list than your adversary or adversaries right. if you're sitting at a table. And the likelihood of that, combined with the amount of money that you think you can earn off of that, that's what generates the betting element of the game, and that's how you determine who wins like a given hand. Right, so the reason people like... Um, Texas Hold'em, which we'll explain the rules a little bit more in detail, uh, is because uh, it's so much easier to kind of participate passively. Like you can sit at a table and once we explain the rules to you, you'll understand what's going on. But similarly to chess, there is a level beyond the rules where the intricacy, not only is it the simplest to understand for the noobs, once the intricacy you get into it, it's far more intense than all the others. Now, true poker players will tell you that Omaha and Seven Card Stud are their favorite, and we may or may not get too much into the rules on that, but Texas Hold'em Poker is the one that's on TV. That's what everybody... And, and I feel is a well-rounded you know, man of the streets. Knowing chess and Texas Hold'em Poker are just good things to have in your repertoire for whatever bachelor party you may or may not get invited to or whatever. It's just good things to, for you to know, life skills. And I like Texas Hold'em and, and, um, and chess. Okay, so... In poker, generally, five-card hands. Now, the, you're like, well, we only get two cards in Texas Hold'em. Poker allows you to change variables. That's part of the rules. Seven-card stud, Texas Hold'em, five-card draw. So it's the variable change that comes with a round of betting where you can kind of in, indicate things. Now, Texas Hold'em, five-card stud, seven cards, all of these different these games, there are community cards that are dealt face-up in the middle of the table. So even though you only have two or three or four in your hand, depending on which game you're playing, there are ones that are in the middle. So that means the entire table gets to share information. So when you make a bet based on what you have, the entire table is like, well, he has to have something that interacts with one of those three cards or something that doesn't, but it's just better, or he's full of shit. Those are essentially the, the only three options. Now, in Texas Hold'em, the way that it works is each player is dealt two cards, okay? Then there are buy-ins, or antes or whatever blinds these are bets that have to take take place they circle around the table and it's so that no pot has zero dollars every pot has to have some money so for example if you if you're trying to play a poker game that's one and two that means the small blind is one dollar the big blind is two dollars so whoever's turn it is that rotates around the table the small blind goes first big blind goes second they are required to throw that money in now that's really important because that can change when you're the person who has to it completely makes you a bit of a wild card because you're like well i'm already in for a little bit of money fuck it let's go see some stuff okay well but it, it, it also keeps people involved in the game Correct. too. so you said you can play poker really passively but if you have a certain amount of money and every I don't know, X number of hands you're required to put money mm -hmm. in the pot in small and large amounts, then eventually you're just going to lose your money if right. you don't ever bet. If you Correct. never win a hand, if you constantly fold and just kind of wait for everybody else to bleed out, you're going to bleed out first because you have to contribute money to the pot. So it, it ensures that somebody is going to win something. 
it adds a variable in determining that somebody is already invested somehow, but it also keeps people from just kind of sitting there and literally doing nothing for the entirety of the game and waiting for people to place their own bets. Right. So those they go in first, and then the cards are dealt. Each player is dealt two cards. Now, I think the max table size can get up to nine. I've play, played in tables of six, eight, somewhere in there. Each person gets two cards, and then there's a round of betting. So the bet, first person that bets will be the person immediately to the left of the player who put in the big blind, the $2, right? The minimum bet is $2. Like that's, that's where the bet is. You have to bet two to call. And that bet, calling, the small blind is called limping. We'll talk about why that's so important here in a minute. It's just a term that they use of like, yeah, I'll throw in the minimum to see the hands. And then people bet around. I do that every now and then. Yes. <laughs> limping, and it's, it's very good and very bad. It's very easy. You ever see the, the, the episode? Uh, well, this is just a common poker thing, but it's, it's not an episode. It's a movie, Rounders. If you can't spot but the is sucker. Is the one... Is that the one with the Russian guy that has a terrible accent? Yeah, John Malkovich. <laughs> so yeah, the, John Malkovich with his crappy Russian accent. Pay like the man his money. Yes. <laughs> so um, Matt Damon actually talks about uh, filming the, these scenes with John Malkovich right away. And everyone's like, John Malkovich is here. And at this point in time, he's a much bigger star than Matt Damon. And oh, yeah. he pops out this accent and Matt Damon's like, I thought he was joking. I thought like this, I was trying not to laugh. And then, uh, and everybody's obsessed with John Malkovich. And he, John Malkovich, pulls him in. And he goes, "Matt, I'm a terrible actor." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like incredible. Yeah, amazing. But it's a legendary movie about poker and life and blah blah blah. But in that, there's a there's a truth in there. Which if you can't spot the sucker at the table, you're the sucker. Limping is a great way to spot the sucker or get all your money took by someone who knows that you're the sucker. So. Everybody has to bet now. You get your two cards, you look at them, maybe you like them, maybe you don't, based on, you know, are they high, are they pretty, whatever. Then after a first round of betting, once everybody's in or out, three community cards, there's a burn card, which means you play one face down, and that's just to prevent cheating, which doesn't really matter here. The dealer plays three cards face up on the table. That's called the flop. So now everybody on the table that's in the pot can make a hand. You've got two in your hand, you got three on the table. Great. Then there's a round of betting, then another community card. Now there's six available options for everybody, then another round of betting, and then the fifth card. Now there are seven. So there's a hand on the table. You can replace any of the two cards on the table with the cards in your hand, and everybody can do that. That is called the river. That's the last one, right? So like it was a river lover. So it's flop, three cards, fourth street or the turn, and then river. The river is the last card that's drawn. And then at the end of the river, everybody bets so most of the time when you watch poker on tv i'll I'll say one of the defining characteristics of poker there's some dumbass names for some really simple stuff yeah um well i mean it's 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 like baseball in that way like well it's a that's a balk like ah stop it i'm already tired of mlb i'm i'm so tired of this that guy on your uh on, on nick's sister podcast interesting to see had a quick shot of this catcher getting thrown out for putting his glove down Instead yes. of accepting a ball that an umpire had already thrown, absolutely the pitcher, hilarious, tossed out of the game. I mean, man, the old guy bullshit, apple pie, Americana, old school, Mister Humble, crap culture of baseball is arguably the worst thing about sports. And I think I, I think it's made worse because there are people who buy into that who don't like other sport. They're not like sports people. They're like baseball people. Yeah, and that culture is just if you're one of those people. I, look, we're not going to be friends, man. We cannot get along on those grounds. Yeah, and I love I, and I love baseball people, but ignoring other sports for me, you are either and I don't really people. How do I say this? 
everybody's got a sport that they love. It seems like if you're a sports fan and most people I've made the argument, if you like, I don't like sports, like I, I will find a sport for you. I will be your drug dealer. I promise there's one that yeah, you don't have to like everything. Yeah. And I, I have gotten people into premier league. It's like, I, try, I like to be a gateway. I'm a gateway fan. I, I get you addicted to a sport that maybe you didn't know about or didn't understand. Like, like, I like Don Cheadle in, uh, in the Dewey Cox. You don't want none of this line. Dewey. It's euphoria beyond anything you could ever describe or imagine. You don't want any of this. And I'm also reminded of South Park when the Guitar Hero episode, when he goes to the game store and he gets heroin hero, and he's just like chasing a dragon. <laughs> South Park is great. They just make fun of things. And so, I mean, it's it's incredibly perfect. Yes, naming things are stupid. And, of course, baseball. But baseball, the pitch clock has made baseball an enjoyable thing again. Like it's so much better. Cut off forty five minutes of our lives. Like they listen to game theory podcasts about competition strategy and decision making, and then they made their decisions. It's incredible. Okay, so that's how I was played. Five community cards. You got two. There are three rounds. Now the rounds are everything. So the rounds are when you can like your hand improves or it gets worse. Okay, so that's how the game is played. Basic rules. Do we understand, Chris? Yeah, I think we understand. Okay. We get dealt the cards, we put in the blinds, we get the flop, the turn, the river. Betting occurs at each stage, at each of those three stages. Yes. And then we show our cards, and whoever has the best hand wins the pot. Right, so when I used to sit down and play, you would look at various things of like, okay, so it's my turn to bet, and someone in front of me, whose turn it was earlier, bet, just say arbitrarily, kind of a lot. And you're like, oh, they must have a good hand. You're like, oh, I like my hand. I don't love my hand. And you realize as an 18-year-old, like, wow, I'm giving away a lot of information right now. And then you go theoretically to Philadelphia where you lose $300 in an hour and a half. And you think, fuck, I better get on the internet and learn something. Uh, that was quick. And then you do. And you realize, holy shit, this is, wow. Okay. Um, then, you, yeah. So let's start with some basic strategy. Okay. Because this is, this is how not to lose your money if you go to a casino in Philadelphia and play against homeless people. The first thing you need to understand is this is the only thing in poker that matters. It's not the only thing, but it is the only thing that matters. Similar in chess to where like, are all of your pieces touching or defending other pieces? This is number one. It is called position. Position is what order are you in the betting? And it seems super obvious now when I explain it to you, right? So small blind, big blind, they're required. Then the first person to go, that guy's out of position. That's, I mean, I know there's an official term for it. It doesn't really matter. Like, that's super out of position. As you get closer and closer and closer to the small blind guy or gal, that person is in better position. So when you're last, that's called being in position. When you're in position, you got all the goddamn information, except for the blinds and their wild cards. There's nothing you oh, can do for that. So, so, so position is like how much relative advantage do you have over the other people placing bets at the table Correct. based on the amount of information available. And the information that the person who's in position has is how much every other player has bet. Correct. Or whether they have folded and decided not to. Correct. And so that you know your odds are getting better based on how many players Uh are at the table. So like, say, for example, if I am in position and I'm looking down at my cards and have arguably, this is highly debated, the best hand in poker, which is an ace and a king, same suit. Ace, king suited. I look at it and I'm like, I'm in position. Not only am I in position, but I got this awesome hand and people are folding around me. I'm like, okay, well, now it's just me and one other guy that are in. If this if if the guy that's in is right next to me. I know that him being out of position, he doesn't really have to have good cards because all these other people folded to him. So he's like, yeah, I'm not going to fold for free. Fuck it. I might as well play. So I could theoretically guess that he could have a lot of stuff that's not as good as mine. But if I have ace king and the person, the only other person that's in is the person that's way out of position, player number three, the LOL, at the table, and he's in, and I'm in, I'm like, he might have the same thing that I have because he should not be playing right now out of position. 
If he's playing out of position, then you're trying to figure out what this person has based on the information. So if I, if it's small blind, big blind, that out of position bets a big raise. So if the, let's just say the small blind is $2 for this, this, this show, then he bets $12. He adds $10 raise. Like that that's is from a percentage that's five times, right? The pot almost three percentage times. Percentage would be 600%. Yes. Enormous raise. Then if it comes to me, I'm like, mm. either he's bluffing or he's got what I have. Now, if I have ace king, I'm like, yep, let's fuck it. Let's roll the dice. Let's see. Let's see the flop. If I have 10 queen suited, I'm like, bye. Bye-bye. So that means, so this is, and this is where poker gets really fun. The person out of position can't telegraph like, hey, I got them. They want to imply they're like, yeah, I'm game without saying like back off because that player, the goal of poker is to win not the hand, the money. You want to get as much money as you can, not the hand. So you have That's to good induce point. Your, your competitors to go in with you with the most odds. Okay, so position is the only thing that matters. Now let's talk about something called ranges. Chris, you know what a range is in math, right? It's a set of numbers between this one and that one. Yeah, I thought you were going to talk about uh, the place where you lose a lot of golf balls slicing super hard. Uh <sighs> Anytime, any place, buddy. I mean, Boom. anytime, Boasted. any place. Any, anytime, anytime, any place. I mean, oh, all right. I'm in. I'm in for 13 holes of golf. <laughs> That's you're like most American men. Like, ah, oh, God, you know the beer doesn't actually taste that good anymore. I want to go home. <laughs> I plummet. I, I absolutely fall off a cliff. Yeah. After the 13th, like 14, I, I am no longer interested in whether the club head strikes the ball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, most people but the like range, that. But the range you're talking about is the mathematical one where it's like a set of numbers on the X or is it X axis or the Y axis? The one that no, goes left to right is X, right? X is domain. X is domain. The range is Y axis. Y. Yeah. Anyway, a range is what a possibility of hands that you can have <laughs> and what you should be playing. So this is where math people got involved. And Daniel Legrand, who says it was Germans who learned that poker was fun somewhere around 2010. Of course it was. Literally it roll was, your it eyes. It was Germans that ruined chess too for like, people thought like, oh yeah, well the science of chess has been solved by Wilhelm Steinitz mm -hmm. and his positional principles. I know. It's now boring. There's no sacrifices, no no excitement on I the think chess board anymore. I, I love beer too. And it's the same thing in beer. We're like, if you go to Belgium, there's some recipes that people like didn't write down. They're like scribbled on walls and like this shit that's been fermenting for 90 years or something like try this ale. You're like okay that's really good you go across the border to germany they're like no mathematically you can't make it better than this try this like oh fuck that's really good yeah touche no but they're right yeah they don't have breweries in germany they like, brew their beer and you can get it there like here are the five beers pick one yes take one from the chemical laboratory exactly <laughs> yes so they theoretical optimum beer yes i oktoberfest is my favorite i love that kind of beer margin beer anyway they figured this out and they solved it and it made it annoying, but they made it a lot more fun because unlike chess, bluffing really matters here. So you start to play your opponent in a way that's it's really fun. But what the Germans figured out is that you should base have a range of hands that not only you and it can dictate the way that you play, and you should also be guessing that your opponent, based on the way that they play, has a range within or has a hand within a certain range based on their position. Now there are tables, Chris, and I know that you read every every word of every article I sent you for this episode. So there are tables of well, range. I'm, I'm a big table guy. I looked at every table that was in every article you sent me, and there were a lot of acronyms that I got to be honest with you, I don't quite understand. Sure. So which table did we did we look at first? 
Well, first, I looked at this table from the Cornell University blog. You guys know, Player 3, you've been listening to the show for a long time. We love sure. the Cornell Game Theory blog. And this is the entry on Game Theory Optimal Texas Hold'em Theory. And there is a card matrix featured in this that right. has kind of what you would expect. It's got some blue shaded cells based on the combination of pair of the pair of cards that player is dealt at the beginning of a round of Texas Hold'em. And I'm seeing AA, AQ, AJ. What would your all, guess all for what those numbers. mean? Well, the A is the ace. Mm. The T is the 10, because they can't do that. And then kings, queens, jacks, uh, and then each of the individual numbers. And then it's a whole matrix of that. So you've got every card combo that has an ace in it at the top uh, and on the uh, x-axis and the y-axis and so you could fill in the rest of that matrix and i'm seeing a lot of shaded cells i'm guessing that's based on how good or how likely you are to win a hand if you're dealt those cards to begin the round of texas hold no almost you were right up until the end based on the shading so the shading is where the debate comes in from different math people and then different poker coaches and things the shading is how uh, this particular table believes that you should bet. So the, the Cornell one is a little bit more straightforward because it's just theoretical, right? So you'll see on the Cornell one, there is a blue line of shaded things. And we'll put this and you can click on all of this. And all of you, if you're ever going to play poker, you should at least have some of this kind of memorized. So you see the seven seven six six five five four four. And these are only three shades. There's white. So white is get the fuck out of there. So... If you you if if I'm dealt a king jack offsuit, yeah, then I should immediately fold. So it depends based on this range thing. Yes, but you know that because we just talked about it, being in position matters more than the cards that you have. So if you are out of position, and this is the left hand of the table, right on the left hand of the table, as you go over the, the cards, this this table is set up for someone who is out of position. Okay, okay. ace ace play. Ace-King, play. This wants you to play all aces. If you were to make another table, or this, excuse me, this table is not for someone in position. If you were to make another, another table, about 80% of the shades would be gone. They would say, like, you play upper left-hand corner only, essentially, and then also some pairs. As you get closer to being in position, closer to going last, things come out. So this table is set up for someone relatively in the middle. It's based on odds and like this is nice and easy. If we were to go over to the uh, range table on pokercode.com, you can see that there are different colors of shades. Ah, yes. Some of the shell, some of the cells are not fully shaded and there's a lot more grayed out here. Mm -hmm. You got the you got the diagonal with that has a bunch of pairs on it. So right. that one's gonna behave differently than the other combinations. But then there there are some like percentages in here that say like fold, call, raise, mm -hmm. all in. So this is truly telling you how to bet. Yes. And this is for someone that may or may not be in position. And it depends. And again, everything can depend on what you want. So if you're out of position, if you're the person that's going first, your goal should be to not lose all your money. So if you have something pretty simple and you're like, this is a pretty good hand. It's a pretty bad hand. I'll go first in. And then you see everyone's in. You're like, shit, those people probably got something better than me. Right? Probably. In theory. Because they're playing higher ranges. So if you're going last or second to last or, or if you're you know in a better position, just an optimally better position uh, for whose turn it is to bet, then you should be looking at the decisions made by your opponents based on this table. So you use this table to figure out what they have. Not necessarily to do what you have. And then for your table, you have to understand 
that they are doing the same thing to you. Like, okay, well, what range can this person possibly have? And as you get into position, the number of cards you should play goes way up because you have all the information. So Jack-10 suited is something I would never play under the gun, which means out of position. But if I'm in position or even not the so first wait, guy wait, to go... Wait, 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 wait. You just said under the gun, which means out of position. So there is not just a stupid name yeah. for a convention, but there's also a nickname for the stupid name for convention. <laughs> sure. Are there any other ones like, oh, I'm covered in gunpowder? Uh, don't worry about oh, it. That means I'm under the gun. That means I'm out of position. That means I'm the first person to bet after the big blind. That's a good question. Let's just good Google God. poker glossary. So might as well mount me on the wall. Glossary of poker shot terms. With a gun, because I was under the gun, because I was out of position because I was the first person to bet after the big like what what are we doing out here uh I'm trying to get no. to like cockney slant rhyming yeah okay so no I'm looking for something I'll find something better we can do that great we will great. find a better term I promise that we'll find a better term so yes the if you're uh in good position then you'd be like I could play any number of hands nobody knows what I have and then now let's talk about the blinds they're wild cards they already have a sunk cost for them, nothing means anything. Those people, you never have any idea. Oftentimes, they will simply try to high raise people to see if they really want it, or sometimes they'll just fold. Sometimes they were never playing. They have a lot of information, but they have a sunk cost, so you can be a little bit more of a wild card. Let's go back to limping. Limping means when you call the small blind. So instead of raising, if you're in for a hand, and I saw this on the internet, and if you're in for a hand, raising is typically the move because like you're either here to play cards or you're fucking around. So instead of just passively putting like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll pay $2 to see the three cards and maybe I have my odds improve. Like, okay, sucker, fine. However, with good players, limping is like, I don't know, maybe I'm good, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm bored. Who knows? Up to you, chief. Whatever you want to do is fine. I like that. Yes. So uh, at the end of first betting, one of the things that happens a lot, and this is, you can tell if you're ever small blind or big blind, if the last person, the person in position has a big raise, that is a strategy called buying the pot. So if it's fold, 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 then I'm in position and like big raise because I want to get the blinds out of here. You're like, oh, bullshit. You're just trying to get the couple bucks and get out of here. You're trying to like, instead of screwing around, you want to get out of here. Okay. Let's get into game theory, optimal play. So I think we've described... Texas Hold'em Poker, we've talked about ranges, we've talked about in position, out of position. We've talked about being under the gun, we've talked about being slick with oil, we've talked about <laughs> being drowning in a life jacket, all kinds of other dumb stuff, but we know the basics of Texas Hold'em. Right. In 2017... So where, does where does game theory come into, into any of this? Because, I mean, I know it's a game, and I know there's yep. a lot of mathematical theory involved here, so where does the cooperate defect optimization, like, where does the Nash equilibrium enter into this discussion so it becomes very similar to our rock paper scissors situation where it only the game theory optimal play is essentially only solvable 100 percent of the time in a heads-up situation me versus you where there are fewer variables so when, it's heads up it's not one-on-one -on -one. heads up <laughs> heads up great <laughs> Well, I'm heads up in a ten gallon hat. At every every sport has stupid terms for that. Like I, I but not not this. Like there's only so many. We've talked about. There's like I don't know eight or ten ways a game of Texas Hold'em can go, depending on who flops, calls, or raises. Mm -hmm. it, it, not flops. Sorry, folds. Jesus. Whoever folds, get it raises. together. God. The point is the concentration of stupid terms in what is essentially a pretty simple game. <laughs> Man, they just they never end. Really. Yeah, tell me about yeah. en passé. Okay, it's one French term that means in passing. <laughs> My God. That's a chess term. For My God. Okay, so 
Game Theory. On passe. It's on passant. I don't oh, give I don't, a shit what it is. I don't swine. care what it is. It, never do it anyway. Uh, the he <laughs> <laughs> should never ever ever take on passant. On passant, no, never do that. Except for in like a puzzle where they're trying to trick you. Unless, yeah, unless you do take it, in which case Ooh, you should. Um, <laughs> game theory is solvable for heads up poker. Theoretically, there is an amount you should bet at a certain point in time based on what you have every single time. This is incredibly boring. I don't really want to get into that. Basically, what happens is if you have ace five, you bet X percentage of how much money you have and you would expect your opponent to do the same to both protect and attack at the same time. That's never how it goes because someone has to win at a certain point. Some people will be highly aggressive. At that point in game theory, if everybody does this, if your opponent is playing game theory optimal and you're playing game theory optimal play, which you can Google it, it's no reason to get into like what the numbers are exactly. The Theoretically, everything is just going to be chill forever, but people will get bored and then they'll try to win and then something, either they'll get lucky or the and the game theory player will get crushed or the game theory player will math will win out and the player who gets too aggressive, they will get crushed. But game theory optimal play dictates that how much money you bet at a certain point in time on the table uh, on the table should theoretically defend you while giving you the best odds. So as you're holding a hand, right, and more cards are coming out onto the table with the flop and the turn and the river and all of that, your odds are changing. But based on game theory optimal play, as your odds change, no matter what's on the table, you should, using these ranges and understanding the like how many sevens are left in the deck, understand how much you should bet to both give yourself the highest advantage without giving away too much information and while making sure that you don't lose too much money. The real fun part of this and where we get into where our podcast really does well is that all it takes is for one person to understand game theory optimal play and to know the exact moment to fuck with people. And at that point in time, just saying basic on game theory optimal play, like this certain amount of money at a certain time, it becomes a bluff off. So this is what's happened in poker. And I will, I will get your reaction to this here in a minute. I'll stop ranting. What's happened is all of the old people, similar to baseball, were like, I don't need no fancy computers. And the, all of these nerds, these mostly European and some, in some cases American, but mostly European nerds are like, shit, I play the, I do what the computer told me to do. I memorized that and I took all these people money. Now the old people were like, well, tell me about this fancy computer thing. Now the old people know it. And now that the old people know the game theory thing and all of the other poker stuff, we have ourselves a fucking bloodbath and it is really fun. So this seems to happen with, it, it, it happens with baseball. It happens with chess. It seems to happen with a lot of games where a style persists for a long time. Convention becomes convention, mostly because people have been doing it for a while and it yields pretty good results and it generates some competitive play and there's some uh, certain terms of art that you need to know and there's a certain, I guess, mode of performing in the sport or activity that becomes commonplace. And when somebody breaks with that convention, suddenly they can actually generate real disruption within the circles until such time as everybody else learns to do things the new and improved way. Right. Like the, uh, the, 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 the guy that reinvented how to do the high jump. Yes. I, I forget what that guy's name is. It's yeah, like so the, the something flop. I'm going to, I'm going to Google flop high jump, not to be confused with flopping in poker, which is the first three, three cards. cards Texas Texas hand. So the, <laughs> we should put a glossary is let's see the Fosbury flop. This guy, Dick Fosbury, basically came along in 1968 at the uh, Summer Olympics in Mexico and said, everybody who's doing the high jumps, because at, at the time it was you run up and you jump 
face first over a bar and whoever can jump the highest wins. This guy came along that year and said, pretty much everybody has been jumping wrong. And he sprinted up to the bar and turned around in the air so that he yeah. was going backward and arched his back over the bar. And he just crushed everybody. He systematically changed the way to do the event, stayed within the rules and redefined what success means. So what's happened here in poker, then what you're saying is people have started to use a lot more percentage calculation and determining the amount of money they should bet as a percentage of what they have right. based on the cards that they're holding and the likelihood that their opponent also is playing optimally. Right. And once you get to that optimization, you reach this Nash equilibrium now where you can expect people to be betting within a certain set of ranges. And accordingly, they have a certain range of available hands that they could be holding at a given moment right and when everybody is playing that optimally the players who are not playing optimally they're in a position to be exploited by the ones who have the percentages kind of calculated out right. and who have a better picture in their mind correct. of what their opponents could possibly be handling correct so rather than trying to do this thing of like oh i spotted his tail four hands ago and i know he's bluffing what they can say now instead is like, well, I know he's got a 17.4% chance of making a straight. Right. So there's no way he'd be betting this much money with the cards he has now. Right. So once you once you introduce game theory optimization, that it, it doesn't it doesn't take the bluffing out of the game. In in fact, it actually intensifies yes. the consequences of bluffing. And Correct. It, it's it's like a rising tide raises all boats situation. Right. It improves the quality of play and makes betting more consequential because you've kind of separated the wheat from the chaff and like the players who know what to expect from what their opponents are holding, they're now able to make better decisions based on playing their opponents than they would be if they were going by like the conventional standards and they hadn't calculated out the, the betting percentages and done the game theory optimization. Is right. that is that what's going on? on yes, right exactly. Now? So though all those old guys, like those the old the old poker cowboys before it was like in cool casinos and on ESPN, they are elite at tells and then you sit down with the table and they're watching your body language, they're watching your your hands to your face and your eyes and all of this other stuff. That just because you understand the computer doesn't mean you don't do that shit. And if you're leaning on computer, let me say computer spreadsheet information, all these nerds with their spreadsheets, um, maybe you're not as well equipped as these people are at doing that kind of stuff. So yes, now we've just added another crinkle. So what you saw for years is these new group of people show up and understand the math of this and get crushed. However, now the OG poker guys are like, I have the internet too, dude. And they figured it out. So now they're back to like doing pretty well. And like now we are in a situation where someone is going to, we, we are in a Nash equilibrium of when do you pull the trigger on being the bluff? So here's, here's the biggest, there are two big variables in every sport that I think in every game always. Number one is time. And number two is the goal. If the goal is to win a tournament, a poker tournament, you have to win as many hands and just play more defensively and just advance as long as you possibly can. And as you do that, you'll theoretically win more money. So let's say we're at the World Series of Poker main event, me, you, and Daniel Negreanu, one of my favorite. He's a great poker educator for anybody that wants to learn, highly endorse the masterclass. It's me, you, and him. Second place gets $6 million. Third place gets $2 million. And first place gets $12 million. Am I motivated to be the best poker player I can be? Or am I motivated to simply outlast you by four fucking million dollars? So that's a completely different thing than trying to win the tournament. Now for Daniel, who's worth like $50 million already, or maybe a hundred, I don't know, tons. He wants the glory of winning 
the championship. So theoretically, he is going to be playing the best poker where I am simply trying to outlast you. Like, yep. That's what I'm trying. But if it's a cash game, and a cash game is where you go to a casino and you play for money and you can leave at any point in time. If it's a cash game, there are no goals. It's just how much money can I make and get out of here before I lose all of my money? That's just freewheeling kind of shit. Now, the second variable is time. Same thing as chess. One of the reasons I think Magnus Carlsen is the go is because he simply does things that make you spend a lot of time having to deal with him. Same thing in poker. If you can stress out your opponent for six hours, they're just not going to make as good of decisions if you can have a game plan. So there's this guy, and, and Negreanu talks about him in his interview with a podcast with somebody, Lex Friedman, I think, that understood all of this. And it's he, what he would do would be hyper, hyper, hyper aggressive stuff. So say if, um, you know, the bet was $2 on the blind and someone raised it to 10, he would bet like 100. Way out of position and not with the same. And wow. everyone's like, this is a bluff. Or like, you can't possibly have had enough information to confidently make a bet like this. And he's kind of like, yeah, whatever, fuck it. Then you get drawn into his shit. And he's like, actually, I do know exactly what I was going to have. I, I won the hand this far ago and now you're, you're screwing around with me. The other thing that's fun about this, similar to chess, is we have all this film of all these guys playing now. You have their yeah. online games, and you have the literal video of them doing stuff, which makes it even more fun to bluff. So it's, it's, it's never been better, but it's also never... The barrier to entry of being pretty good at poker has never been higher. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of unfortunate in a way. I mean, you want to get new players into the game. I will say I think it's a little bit different when you're doing... A, when you're trying to get more people playing gambling games because yeah. it basically just means more concentration of money for for the house right and for the players who are really good at it so i, I don't know if i have the same sort of that's a shame attitude toward toward poker that i would with chess if this were the case the good news is with chess i think it's a little bit simpler i mean there's much less luck involved and, and it really is all about being able to sit down at the board the barrier to entry is also a lot smaller like you don't have to learn terms like under the gun or in position <laughs> or whale boned or cat scatted or whatever. Yeah. And I, I think there's also a lot less mathematical calculation. You know, in, in chess calculation means you go from one frame to the next where each frame is a piece has moved. And then what does the position look like? And so you have to visualize that with poker, especially if you're going to learn game theory optimization, there's a lot of percent based calculation. There's a lot of simple mental math and there are a lot of different, formulas and numbers that you've got to hold in your head at a moment's notice and oh by the way you're also still trying to play against the players on the other side of the table who have a reason to try to deceive you so yeah. i i think it is pretty challenging for players to get involved in in the consequences unfortunately for a, a game that involves money means that people can lose a lot of value trying to become proficient at poker yeah so it, it's it's very much a sunk cost in the sense that you can't just step on up and experience immediate success. Like you have to literally invest your money if you're going to learn the skills to try to win more money later on. Yeah. And, um, that's, that's, that is the biggest barrier to entry. And the other, the other one is of course, location and legality. Like I'm in North Carolina that you cannot play poker online legally here and you can only play poker in person at a native American reservation about two hours from where I live. They just simply don't do gambling in North Carolina and some States do some sports gambling and it's hard to do. And a lot of States don't do online gambling, uh, legally or illegally. And there's some debate about whether or not poker should be, um, consider gambling anyway. I, I would consider it absolutely not gambling, but the most important thing is what we started with, which is if there's no money involved, you're just screwing around. So because people aren't motivated unless there's money, I do understand the argument for it being gambling and you can't really le legal. I mean, you I, I think it should be legal to play, but it should not be super legal and widespread and easy to access to play for money. 
which is the only reason to play in the first place because it's a variable that you have to have. Yeah, it's similar to sports betting in that way, I think. I mean, yeah. reasonable adults ought to be able to make decisions with their money about what what's likely to happen in a sports contest or whatever whatever kind of thing you're betting on. But also, it's addictive and it's insidious. And for people who don't know what they're doing, the consequences are very high. It's not yeah. like you can, like, well, you know, I lost a bunch of money on betting, but I got it all back because of charity or whatever. Like, you, you lose a lot of of value permanently in situations where if you don't know what you're doing and your money is on the line, you can get kind of fleeced and that has real consequences that go far beyond your personhood. So I I think, I think there's a more reasonable argument to be made for keeping that kind of thing. If not totally illegal, then at least in check. Yeah. Uh, Certainly so that like young kids and, uh, and people who don't really know any better, can be protected in some measure from themselves. Right. So, and, and in poker, because you're at a table, theoretically with other people, the variables are controlled in a way that they aren't with other card games and certainly aren't with like slots and video games and dice games because the variables are controlled. There is an argument to be made that like, no, this isn't gambling. This is these people are with these stakes and things are kind of in house here. Like you can't like, there's not pure luck, right? Like it's yes. only pure luck. If you make the decision to bet on everything, every time, then it's pure luck. The best cards will win every time. But because you have the opportunity to be sunk cost and be like, I actually, I'm not forced to play. It would be like pulling a slot machine lever. And after the first thing hits, you're like, I am actually good. I don't want that one. Let's start over for no money. Like this, like you can yeah. just kind of start over. So like, that's where it kind of gets differentiated for me. And the disruption thing is interesting. I'm reminded of the NBA where James Harden and Steph Curry figured out that three is more than two. And now um, these these small guys, which is it's crazy. Like we make fun of them for saying, but like that's what it was in the NBA with all these shooters. Three is more than two. It's fifty percent more than two. So my percentage of missing can go down this much, and I'm still going to score this many points. Like how? Wow, crazy basic math that you learn in eighth grade. But uh, when the short guys were doing this, like, well, this fun. The game is really balanced out. You got to shoot the three. You got to play inside, whatever. Well, guess what? Now the seven footers can shoot threes, and so those guys are going to get kicked out anyway. Same, it's the same thing in, in football. Well, what if the quarterback was also the most athletic person we've ever seen? Then not only that, but he can't tackle him either. Like, oh, touche. Same, same story in baseball. It's cute when the Oakland A's are doing money ball and trying to use their small mm-hmm. salary to find value in players that no one else can see. Like, well, when the New York Yankees with their multi-gazillion dollar paycheck are doing exactly the same thing, guess what? Guess what? The A's are back out on their ass again. Yeah, money ball is over as soon as the Yankees figure out that the, they were looking at the wrong stat the whole time. And but yeah, they, really, the, the the key to disruption is it only really helps very early on for the first disruptors. That's when exactly change right. comes, it comes for all because everybody's just as smart as everybody else. Generally speaking, it, people are going <sighs> to figure out ways of doing things better. And especially if they're shown up, like everybody now does the Fosbury flop because yep. they were shown that this is just a systematically better way to do the thing. And now they do it. And I'm not sure that uh, Dick Fosbury would have won a medal in Mexico. If people had had that revolution two years before a year before the only exception and there's a certain demographic of people, and we are in it, but also out of it. The only exception is people refuse to try to win Jeopardy. They just... They, do, they won't do it. They won't do they the James, James Holzhauer stuff. do it, and it's like, no. Nah, nah, Too successful. I'm gonna go ahead and, yeah, I'm going to do $200 right at the top of the category because that's how playing is done. Yes, I'm, this is the Jeopardy I grew up with. This yeah. is, and James is like, whoa, my bad for trying to win something, you fucking nerds. Trebek forever, dweebs. Dweebs, yeah, but Alex liked James because he also knew the answers, so I guess that's part of it too. Going out on top, baby. Yeah, going out on top. It's nice to do a game episode. I haven't done anything with low stakes. Ho-ho! Aha, welcome back, Player 3. What can I say? 
How do you make Lady Gaga cry? Poker face. <laughs>